Ladies and gentlemen, now hosting the Rizzo cast, put your hands together for Steven Risotto. What's going on, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 86 of RizzoCast. I'm Steven Risotto, and today we are joined by a former Major League Baseball player who played in parts of 11 Major League seasons with six different big league clubs. He's now the manager of the Arizona Athletics, the rookie ball team for the Oakland A's. It is Adam Rosales. He joins the show. Adam, what's going on? Welcome. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely a pleasure. Um, so it's November 16th. It's a weird, awkward stretch near the holidays. Free agency's underway. As a player, what was kind of this time for you? Because I know right now everybody's talking about the free agent hot stove and the new CBA, and it's kind of a different offseason. But what was, you know, this time kind of like for you as a as a player? Uh, this time, actually, for the free agency, like when I signed, it seemed like it was always like last minute, like <laughs> January, February. <laughs> they take the big guys first, you know, the big, big leaguers first. But um, it was usually like January, February, and then I would ship out to whatever team I was going to. But this time of the year was definitely exciting. I mean, the World Series just ended, and I was really getting after it as a player. I was working out getting in condition. This is like the time of the year where a baseball player gets better. It's like a make or break this time of year. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And as a shortstop yourself, I'm sure you're looking at all these free agent shortstops right now. And unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's an unbelievable class. And I, I'm sure you could really appreciate that. Uh, I, I mean, Seeger and Correa and Trevor Story, Marcus Simeon. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing a few. Andrelton Simmons is an unbelievable defender. So if, if if you're looking to build a team, I guess around any one of those guys, I mean, pick from the pick pick from the buffet right there. I mean, there's a lot of names there to digest. Marcus Simeon, that's my guy. There you go with the A's connection. Okay, I see. Yeah, I got to play with Marcus in 2017. I'm, all those other shortstops are unbelievable as well, but Marcus is a great teammate and probably the hardest worker I've seen in the game. So he always puts the time in. He's got a good head on his shoulders, good leader. He's going to bring, he's going to be the same guy every day. He's consistent both on and off the field. Big, big fan, Marcus Simeon. And we know about his work ethic. I mean, he started off as not a very good defender at shortstop and he really worked his way up and he worked with Ron Washington. Did you get a chance to work with Ron Washington in your time in Oakland? Uh, not in Oakland, but in Texas. In Texas. I got to play for Ron Washington. Mm-hmm. And he's always, especially during spring training, he's out there with all the infielders going through his routine with us. And it's just a treat. The energy that he brings is second to none. Yeah, and he got a ring this year. He got rewarded. With and he got so. a That's right. Yeah, with the Braves. Yeah, really, really cool to see that happen after falling short two straight years in 2010 and 2011 and All a right. true baseball lifer finally gets his ring. All right, let's hop into your career here. Chicago guy. So were you Cubs or White Sox? Cubs. Cubs. And, Cubs and you were growing up right around the time of that home run chase in, in 1998. So how cool was Ooh, that yeah. to see? That was awesome. I actually just watched the documentary. What is it on ESPN? It's like a 
or it's on Netflix, I think, but with the, the home run chase between McGuire and Sosa, it just brings you back to that year, back to 98, and how crucial that was. I mean, it was a, a lot of controversy, of course, but the inspiration and the influence that it had on me as a baseball player and how determined I was after watching these players reach such a milestone was just inspiring to me. And were you a regular at Wrigley Field as a kid? I mean, was, was it was it something that you would always, you know, would you always attend games at Wrigley? We'd go like two or three times a year, you know, whenever my, my parents had time and the, the money to do so, you know. Now, what about when you were a player? When you walked through those gates for the first time at Wrigley Field and you looked at the Ivy and you saw the, the friendly confines of Wrigley Field, what was kind of going through your mind? Do you remember the first time? Oh, my God. Well, the first time when I was a kid? The first time as a player. As a player. Yeah, I remember that day like it was yesterday. But because I couldn't sleep the night before because I had just gotten called up from Louisville in AAA with the Reds. And I just got called up. I couldn't sleep, flew in early the next morning and my parents came and picked me up at O'Hare airport and we drove, I went home and took like a little nap. And then we went right to the field. We got to the field around like 11 AM for a seven o'clock game. I was there <laughs> and I got to take my parents on the field. We walked right and we walked right through the same gate. I walked into when I was about five years old, walked in that same gate and left field, walked up the concourse down the stairs and onto the field, and we just walked all around the outfield, touching the ivy, looking from that perspective, from the outfield, looking into the infield. And it's just unbelievable uh, to have experienced that, just fortunate to have had that experience. You know, one of the oldest stadiums in, in all of baseball. All right, growing up playing baseball, I know everybody kind of has their story. How did, the, how did the love affair start? When did you kind of know that? You know, like, I'm pretty good at this. I think I could make a living out of it. I think I could go pretty far. What was it like kind of growing up uh, in that area and playing baseball? Yeah. Um, it was probably, I mean, when I was young, it was just, I'm not sure if it's just innate in me. I, mean, I see my son. He's only five years old right now. But, and he's come to a couple of my baseball games, like when I was, when he was only like three years old. And I remember Watch and my last game that he was at, I looked up in the stands and my daughter's playing around with her friends, you know, you know, like the little girly things. And so my son was like on the edge of his seat watching the hitter. And I was playing first base at the time. I was like, oh my gosh, man. I actually came into the dugout, I'm like kind of like teary-eyed. I'm like, this is gonna be the last game. You probably won't remember watching me play, but like coming home watching he watches like the mlb network like some like especially when he's playing like we put him in uh coach pitch and he just always just sat down and watched the game by himself or he would like throw the ball off the couch like a little softball and he would feel it dive and slide i think it's just innate i'm a, I'm a i don't know i would always remember watching harry carey and steve stone and the the cubs on wgn on like a rickety old wooden chair when I was like my son's age, when I was about five or six years old in our house in Chicago. And I just love watching it. I don't know, maybe just like the green grass, the brown dirt. I don't know. I just, I've always had a passion for the game and 
I've been so fortunate to to stay in the game this long, you know. That's incredible. Five years old, and he's he's so intently watching this at bat, and he's probably like, "Mom, was do you think that was 104 off the bat?" <laughs> <laughs> he's talking about analytics already. Yeah, watching watching uh, Billy Ripken breakdowns on MLB Network already. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty incredible. So he's, uh, he doesn't go that far, but whatever <laughs> whatever the TV's on, he's he's there watching it, and he's throwing like a ball off the couch and throwing it off the wall. You know, my wife's not too happy about that sometimes, but. You got to do what you got to do. Uh, next, next breed of baseball players for sure. Uh, and just to base off that, I mean, I read in an interview that you did once that, and you said something that really stood out. You said that you always treated everything with the mindset of, you know, you never know who's watching. And why is that kind of a slogan that you, that stuck for you? Cause I know when a lot of baseball players play, they tend to get maybe, you know, a little content. And, and there's, I think the ones that don't can get content are the ones that end up being really successful so i think the term you know you never know who's watching could be really effective so why was that kind of helpful for you i mean i think it's helpful for all of us because it's integrity right and in the middle of that word integrity is the word grit right so you got to be gritty but integrity i feel like the world needs more of it you know act like act like there is somebody watching somebody's holding you accountable all the time right or and on the other side, like nobody's, you got to act like there's, when the pressure is on, you got to act like there's nobody there. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like a game. You got to play with your mind, but I think the world would be a lot better if we understood the word integrity a little bit better, that, that, that accountability, that responsibility, not blaming other people because you failed, right? There's a, there's a lot of strength in that word integrity that I try to bring to the players that I'm helping right now with the Oakland A's that I bring to my family, to my own children, that word integrity will take you a long way in life. Yeah. And that leads me to this next point for those that don't know, and we're curious and saw the name Adam Rosales on this podcast. And we're wondering what you guys remembered him from. He's the one with the really fast home run trot and the, the sprint home run trot. And he's, you know, kind of made a trademark out of it. Um, I mean, drop the bomb, sprint it around the bases. It was incredible. So where did that kind of begin? Uh, my first home run I ever hit actually was left-handed and I'm a right-handed hitter, but it was left-handed and the ball just barely scraped the wall. And I'm like, man, I would have looked pretty dumb if I was standing on first base if the ball hit the wall and they got through the second base and I wasn't standing on second base. And if, you know, after I hit it, I kind of felt kind of awkward jogging around the bases I'm like, this is kind of taking a long time. I kind of just want to speed it up a little bit, just get it done with. Um, but, and then ever since then, I'm like, you know what? That's the last time I do that. I don't care if it's a, if it's a wall scraper or if it's a no doubter, I'm running like it's a triple. And ever since I've been about 12 years old, ever since that first home run I hit at Phillins in Chicago, Ever since then, I just stuck with it. And I've made a promise to myself when I was young. I said, if I ever got to play professional baseball or in the major leagues, I would play the same way I played when I was 12 years old. And I stuck to it. And it was a tribute to my 12-year-old self. And it helped me get through the toughest times in my baseball career. That's incredible. Has, has anybody ever, like, commented, hey, man, I like the way that you sprint around the bases? Or, like, yeah, well, anybody, in, anybody in the clubhouse? More often than not, you know, more often than not, a lot of, a lot of people appreciate it. Uh, they respect it. 
and they and they could see the kind of person I am too. You know, if I was doing it because I was showing somebody up, or if I was doing it out of some different motive, I think it just goes along with my personality, my energy, my passion that I have for the game. It just um, I know the Yankees fans didn't appreciate it when I hit it. <laughs> when I came around third base, they'd always boo me, but that's that's all right. I'll take that. You don't hit one in Monument Park. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I can't. That would be, I mean, if, if if you really think that, if you're really offended by someone sprinting around the bases, like, you really need to rethink, like, everything in life. Because that would be, like, the, the pettiest thing to get mad about. Uh, but good for you. That was definitely a really cool thing. Um, so you get drafted by the Reds in 2005. And three years later, you're in the big league. So where were you? What were you doing? On this show, We, we I always like to hear some call-up stories or draft stories. So what was the call-up story for, for Adam Rosales? Man, you're asking some great questions. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. It really is. Yeah, um, well, uh, you know, I, I knew I had to go, first of all. 2005, I was drafted. And I remember our one of the sports psychologists for the, for the Cincinnati Reds asked us, how many players do you think have ever played Major League Baseball since 1885, whatever it was? And the guesses were like a million. Oh, gosh. You know, or 500,000. I remember like, yeah, that's a good number. I didn't say anything. But then the sports psychologist told us it's under 20,000 people. And I'm thinking that's half of the people that fill a major league stadium. You know, major league stadium, that's 40, at least 40,000 people. You're looking at only half of that stadium being filled. And that's the only amount of people that have played one game. Yeah of major league baseball. And I thought to myself, I got to go. I, I have to have a sense of urgency that not only every day matters, but every single play matters. That's the mentality that I took and I got to go. If I have a shot at this, if I have a shot at accomplishing my dreams, I have to have a sense of urgency. So I did work my, I worked my tail off. I concentrated I was so focused that I, I, I moved up the ladder quick and I had a lot of great opportunities, caught a lot of breaks, of course, but I, I brought the energy every single day and, and people appreciated that. You know, I was a four, I went to, I was a senior sign out of Western Michigan University. So it was very unlikely that I would play one day in the big leagues, but I get to the major leagues is, and I struggled in 2008 they were talking about sending me back to double a because I was hitting a buck 80 in June, but I talked to Andy green, who was my teammate and my roommate on the road in triple a. He helped me out a ton. I started doing a lot of mental prep exercises, read the book called think and grow rich by Napoleon Hill, which I recommend everybody. But anyway, let me get to the call up. <laughs> I don't talk it a lot because I'm super excited about this, but so Rick Sweet is my manager, unbelievable, like a father figure to me. And the day, it was August 8th, 2008. And I'm hitting off the tee in the batting cage down below in Louisville, Louisville Stadium. And uh, I come back up after hitting and there's nobody in the clubhouse. I'm like, what the heck? I'm like, where's everybody at? And my manager, Rick Sweet, comes out and says, where are you at? Well, how come you're not at stretch? How come you're late? I said, I'm not, I'm never late. I'm always, I'll, I'll make sure I'm on time. 
He goes, you know what? I, I am sick of it. I can't take this anymore. Pack your bags. You're going to Cincinnati. And everybody jumped out. All my teammates jumped out. Like, ah! You know, like super excited and just a lot of respect, man. Like it was just, there's like only a couple times in my life where time is like stopped. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is really happening. And that's, that's one time where like, it was like out of body experience where I was a major leaguer now, you know? Man, that bit, that might be one of the best call-up stories we've had. So Chris Shaw of the Giants, who was drafted by the Giants in the first round and got called up, I want to say in 2017, he had a really good one where he was in Sacramento and he and the, the, the manager in Sacramento said, you know, they were getting on a bus and, and he said, Chris, I don't know what you're doing, but we're going to Sacramento or no, we're going to um, oh, where are they playing? We're going to Fresno. Right, And then Chris Shaw was like, yeah, I know we're going to Fresno. And he's like, we're going to Fresno, Chris. I don't know what you're doing, but we're going to Fresno. <laughs> and then Chris Shaw said, yeah, I know. And he was starting to get frustrated a little bit. And then finally he said, you're going to San Francisco. I don't know what you're doing here. And it was, Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So th- those AAA managers, man, that must be such a thrill for them to, to call guys yeah. up. You know what? I got to call guys up to a ball. Yeah. Was that cool? Ball. And there's some precious moments that I had just by telling them that you, you put the hard work in, you struggled through some ups and downs this year, but look, it paid off and it's about timing. You know, it's about catching breaks, but you, but whenever I tell them, I'm like, make sure you make them notice you when you get up there, make sure they notice you. That's all. That's the only advice I give them. (laughs) You got to make your mark some good advice and and then in, in uh, cincinnati you played for dusty dusty baker oh, who's, the best. Uh, a guy who made it to the world series this year and you know there's a sense of you know for me that was pulling for him to get there and know, me too. he's beloved here in san francisco so what was it kind of like uh, playing with uh playing for dusty dusty was one of my favorite he was a player's manager he he made me feel important as a rookie he would pull me over during the game I'd be sitting on the bench a lot as a utility player, waiting for my opportunity to go in and say, hey, Rosie, come over, come over here. And a lot of times, I mean, it almost like feel like once a series, he'd come over and teach me something about the game or um, give me some kind of wisdom, some kind of insight. Uh, was all, And there's so many great stories I got about Dusty and who he is, um, just a big fan. I've been so fortunate to not only play for these men and just to be a, just be a, just to see them, to see them work and to learn from them. It's, it's been an unbelievable journey to be on. Yeah. The longevity that Dusty Baker has right now, where a lot of managers are, you know, getting younger and it's becoming a, a a completely different uh, position and role. And Dusty Baker still kind of, you know, he's still there. He's still there. He's managing and, He's doing a good job. Um, 2010, the Reds, they bring in Scott Rowland. They bring in Orlando Cabrera. Brandon Phillips, we knew that he was going to be there long-term at that point. What was the initial reaction when you were dealt to Oakland? Because I know a lot of players kind of deal with trades a little bit differently. Was it, you know, not a heartbreak? Was it excitement? What was kind of the the reaction of getting traded? Look, I I read the the book Moneyball (laughs) when I was a senior in college. Loved it. Uh, I have a picture of me when I was a little kid in front of a fireplace with an Oakland A's jersey. I'm from Chicago. I got an Oakland A's jersey on for some reason. I don't know what that 
my mom must have got it on sale or something. I don't know. Um, it's it's just amazing how the stars line up. But I get a phone call from Dust, not from Dust, from uh, Billy Bean, the general manager mm-hmm. of the Oakland A of the Oakland A's, and he says, "Do you know how long we've been trying to get you?" And he also said, "Don't ever sell yourself short. You are a major league shortstop." And I'm like, when does the season start? I'm ready to go through a brick wall for you right now. I cannot wait to get to Oakland. I mean, those I thrive on those words of affirmation, you know, like, and I buy into them. I really do. And just come from Billy Bean. Like, I just read a book about him. Understand, like, what he what he puts into the game of baseball and the respect that I have for him. And now he's calling me to tell me these these words. I, I was geeked. I was ready to go and win for the Oakland A's. So I was super excited to get that call. And from reading Moneyball, I think we all have like, we all know about the 2002 draft now and like everybody that came from that draft. So I think it's hilarious uh, whenever I think of, that's what I think of when I think of Moneyball, you know, Nick Swisher and, you know, Scott Casimir. Yeah, pretty right, pretty yeah. funny. Uh, so I need to ask about that ball that you hit in Cleveland that, that cleared the wall <laughs> in left field. Um, so clear, for those that don't know, Adam Rosales hit a ball in left field in Cleveland with the A's and it cleared the wall in left field. It hit off the railing on the other side of the wall, came back down and, you know, nobody really knew what was going on. It looked like it might've been a double, but there's a chance that it could have been a home run. They went to replay. They're looking at these different angles and there's clearly one on the TV broadcast that says the ball went over the wall and hit off the railing. So the umpires go and review it. This was back when they didn't have the headsets. They had to go into the little room and hide out, you know, a little bit. So they come back and they say it's a double and it was the most un. it's still probably one of the worst calls I've ever seen in my life. So take me through that entire, that entire saga from your end. Uh, I mean, it was, it was heartbreaking because it, it was the ninth inning, two outs, Two outs off Chris Perez, uh, you know, a top closer at the time. It would have tied the game up four to four. Um, so it was, t- you know, I thought for sure coming off the bat, I'm like, it's, but I, I thought it was a homer coming off the bat. I got it really good, as good as I can get it usually. But I know the wall was high in, in uh, Cleveland, but. You know, I got the second base and, you know, like they called timeout and they're, they're in there for about, I feel like it was like 10 or 15 minutes, but it probably was like two. It felt like forever that they were looking at this review and my teammates were like, like, it's a homer, you know, like, like you might as well start running now. And then Angel Hernandez comes out. He makes the official call that it's the, a double and Bob Mel, Bob Melvin comes out of that dugout like a lion it was the coolest thing to see that he you could see how bad he wanted to win that game um and how he you know just he just laid into angel hernandez even though you couldn't argue they, that, that was the rule right once they review it because review that was like the first year they try to do it once you review it it, it it is what it is there's no arguing that's why they did it because they want to eliminate the arguments but bob melvin was out there in a heartbeat but to no to no avail, of course. But um, yeah, it was, and then anyway, it just uh, that's that's where that's where uh, that's all happened, you know. <laughs> and if you're standing at second base and they come out and they call 
you know, they say home run. Would you go automatically into the sprint? Would you get kind of like a jog then a sprint, oh. or would you? Would it be like a, a hard? You know, like how would that work? I would have just jogged. I would just jog on the bases. I would have jogged the last two legs of the home run trot. Yeah, I didn't know if it was like a like the the home run signal would warrant like a like a go. That would be like your, mean, your after those ten or fifteen minutes, I would have to get my legs loose again. You know. Yeah. No. After yeah. they reviewed it, so. Definitely did take a long time. And you mentioned Bob Melvin, who, and, you know, I'm bringing up some managers of yours and Bob Melvin now has a chance with the uh, San Diego Padres to lead that team, which, and you played for the Padres. So, you know, a little bit about what's, you know, going down over there. So what, what is it kind of like playing for, for Bob Melvin and, and how does he compare to some of your other managers? Bob Melvin's the best that I, I mean, I got a lot of time with him. That's the thing I, I've had three, almost four years with Bob Melvin. And he is my favorite manager. Uh, he always, he's one of the managers that made me feel like I was a three hole hitter, even though I knew I was, the, I knew I was the 26 guy coming back and forth, you know, between AAA and the big leagues. Um, he made me feel really important. He would communicate with me when I'm standing out at shortstop, taking ground balls during batting practice. He would come out and say, look at Bob Gardner's pitching in three days expect to face Baumgartner and you're going to be playing short stuff and you're going to be great. And just, um, it's a lot of confidence that he was able to build in me and, uh, and bought into his program and who he is and just a lot of respect for Bob Melvin. Yeah. No. You know, as, as, as like who I am right now, uh, and I know I'm going to take it slow to get to where I want to be as a coach or a manager, but, that's who I aspire to be like, like a Bob Melvin. Yeah. Not a, not a bad role model for sure. Um, jumping back into the career here, there's a stretch in 2013 where you DFA three times in 11 days. And you know that when something like that happens, I mean, how much are you personally offended of it? Do you understand that? Like it's part of the game um, is, you know, what is the feeling when, when something like that happens? Cause I cannot imagine it's easy. I'm sure it's the opposite of easy. Yeah, I always, I always look like the, the glass is half full, right? That somebody wanted me in the big leagues to help them contribute and get ready for the playoffs, you know, hmm. as a utility guy, as a backup, whatever. I was going to help contribute at the major league level still. But to sum it up, it was pretty wild because my wife, she was in Oakland. I was in Toronto. Oh, no. <laughs> playing for Oakland and our car with all of our stuff in it, all of our belongings was in Texas, just sitting there in a parking lot. So we are all scattered, not knowing what we're doing. So that kind of sums it up that we just kind of talk about being in limbo, but it was, it was a cool, cool time of my career. You know, it's, it's, and I, I finished with the Rangers that year. And then I came back the next year Started in AAA, but then came back to the major leagues in 2014. My daughter was born, our first child, and I killed it in 2014. The team didn't do too well, but I, I put myself back on the map 2014. Yeah, that, that's – and job security is really the most desired aspect in sports and I guess in this society in general. And and you were – like you mentioned, you felt like the, the 26th guy a lot of times and, and nothing was ever guaranteed. Uh does that like mindset, how does that mindset translate to the field? Cause I know we mentioned earlier about, 
you know, play like someone's watching. And I think it's all connected, but how does that mindset where, you know, you, not saying that all these other guys and the superstars are handed anything because they're not, but they have a little bit more job security than someone like, you know, a utility infielder or, you know, a fifth or fourth outfielder. So how does that kind of mindset translate to the field and, you know, maybe making an error and going, oh, that might have costed me or, you know, taking things maybe a little bit too hard. You got to take those things in like a grain of salt. Whenever you make a mistake, it's part of the game. You got to keep your mentality. You got to stick to your routine. You got to stick to your guns. You got to stick to what you know every day and know and trust that you belong there. You got to tell yourself, even if you got to trick yourself. But that's where it comes back to my sense of urgency as a minor leaguer. I had that sense of urgency when I was a major leaguer too. That sense of urgency never left me my whole entire career. I always played like every pitch mattered. I really did. I was, I, I really pushed myself to focus every single pitch because it did. It mattered to me. And I mean, because if I didn't, I would have got sent down more often or I would have stayed in AAA, you know. And your career is just so intriguing that you're you're well-traveled, not just in, you know, one league. You're well-traveled in the National League and the American League. So was, was there a favorite city or ballpark that you ended up really enjoying as kind of a visiting player? I mean, always going back to Chicago yeah. is always a treat to see my family. And to see close friends was always a treat. And to play at Wrigley Field, and even to play at USL or Guaranteed Rate Field, whatever it's called now. Um, but my favorite city to go to, besides Chicago, because I'm biased towards it, is to Boston and to play at Fenway, because it's very, very much the same uh, type of stadium, same, very similar atmosphere. Um, so those are my two favorite for sure. Did you ever go over the monster? No, I think I might have hit it once. And BP, I did. BP, I went over, but never in a game. Yeah, and speaking of going yard, you killed some really good pitchers. I, mean, three, I, looked, I looked it up here. 333 against Casimir, 318 against Sabathia, 333 against Kane. And here's the big one. 350 against Sale, and you took them deep three times. So was there some, like, keys? Did you have, like, a hack against, like, Chris Sale that helped? Man, you you do your homework. I do do my homework. That's yes. fantastic. Good work, man. I appreciate that. Um, no, I, I mean, it's crazy, the mentality that those guys, those guys you just listed off, I had nothing to lose against them. I had everything to gain against those mm-hmm. guys. But if why, why can't I have that mentality against everybody, though? I, I don't know why. Like, I always never – I always – excelled in those opportunities like i got nothing to lose and it, i feel like i got into their heads somehow but because those are great pitchers you know those those are fantastic so it's pretty it's pretty neat that i i succeeded off those pitchers for sure yeah no no doubt it's pretty and i know you're humble and you're not going to take me through every at bat and go oh man i knew it was going to be a slider middle no, no not <laughs> so that I good like... i was never that good <laughs> kept it at the minimum there uh so you played most of 2018 in the minor leagues with the Indians and all of 2019 in the minors with the Indians and, and twins. And you haven't played since, you know, was it your decision to hang up the cleats or, or did you kind of want to keep on going there? Again, I've been fortunate. I've been blessed to, to go out on my own terms. Hmm. 
you know, and I went out at the right time. Um, I wanted to stop in 2018. After 2018, I got to go to the playoffs uh, with the Indians. Well, I wasn't on the roster, but I was there, which is a lot of respect for the Indians for, for bringing us along. And uh, But after that last game, when we, when we lost to the Astros in the ALDS, usually after that last game, I'm like, there's a sting. You know, it hurts. Like, I'm going to do everything I can this offseason to shove it up someone's rear end. <laughs> you know, like, I took it personally. But after that game, it was like almost like a – where is that? Where where is that sting? You know, like where where is that? I'm like, uh oh, I'm like, I think I'm done. You know, I'm like, I think I'm done. And so I go home in the off season. I tell my wife, I got, I'm done. I'm done playing. I'm all right with just. I'm like, unless unless the spring training team in Arizona, because we we're living in Arizona at the time, like unless the spring training team in Arizona calls me, then I'll, I'll consider playing. But I'm done. I know I'm done playing. I want to be home with my family. My kid, my, my, my daughter was going into kindergarten. I was done missing time with them. Um, but my wife says, she says, you're not done playing. She's like, you're going to make sure you get every ounce of wanting to play baseball out of your system. It's like, oh, my gosh. So the, the twins called, and we go to Fort Myers. Fort Myers. Like I said I wasn't going to do this, yeah. and I'm doing it. But I'm so glad I did because I got to meet Rod Carew and I got to hit with not just Rod Carew, but so many people in the twins organization as well. Uh, but I really took really gelled with him and we worked together so well, like he would tell me what to do. I would do it and I would hit a home run the next day. I had four home runs, I think four home runs in spring training. And I just killed it because every time I listened to him, I'm like, Rod, I, I need you in my back pocket for the rest of my career. <laughs> but man, like it was special, like on like a uh, on like a spiritual level with Rod Carew, like to have him there and to learn from him was exceptionally special for me that I will always tell my kids the stories, my grandkids about Rod Carew and the person that he is was really special. Um but I, you know, the, I, I thought I was going to make the team. Uh, they, they, they said they're going to go a different direction. They chose somebody else, a utility player. So I went to Rochester, and that, that feeling of being done, I just, I, if my heart's not in it, I am terrible at whatever I do. There's no sense of urgency, and I just tanked. I couldn't. But the, 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 the Indians, I had a lot of respect. They brought me to Columbus again which is my wife was born and raised in Cleveland area. So we weren't far from home. I was close. My, you know, my, they would come about an hour and a half away, whatever. So it was perfect, perfect ending to a career to go out like that. And then the next year COVID happens and I, that would be tough to go out on a COVID year. I couldn't imagine. I felt so bad for these players during that time, but Anyway, that's my my story. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And I I just tweeted the other day that Rod Carew is is a is actually really good on social media. He's got some Please. really good tweets. Uh, <laughs> I don't follow too much. But. Yeah, you, you would you'd never expect Rod Carew to just have an just an epic Twitter account, and he does. And 
uh, it's pretty amazing. Uh, so when I saw that you were managing, and I always think of this whenever somebody gets a coaching job or anything, and anytime that anyone wants to coach at any level needs to be all over the information. And, you know, nowadays that is true more than any other time in history. I mean, as a player, how much kind of did you utilize any of those advanced numbers? Did you ever look at, you know, maybe towards the end, your, your launch angle or your exit velocity or, you know, understanding how pitchers are going to attack you? How much did you use that as a player and how much are you kind of using it now as a manager? I didn't, I didn't use it as a player. And it's like, uh, you look back and you look at all the technology and all the resources and how people know how to deliver that message to keep it clean and clear. I was kind of reluctant to, to really dive into it because of the, it just seemed like it would just discombobulate my mental process, you know, but if I had the resources, if they were well-versed in technology, I feel like I could have been a little bit better. I really do. Cause I'm a big fan of technology, what it brings, how you can track progress. You could track workload. You could track efficiency. I'm about that. I mean, there's, but it's gotta, you gotta have the right resources, deliver the right information. Cause if it's not, these players will be confused really quick, you know, and they're not going to buy into it, but I mean, I, I love technology. It's, it's definitely up and coming. But something that hasn't been tapped into in the game of baseball and maybe in all athletics, but definitely baseball is the mental side of the game and how important that is, the visualization and tricking yourself to, to have the right mentality. I, I think this is a lot more powerful than any number, to be honest with you. But backtracking, I, I do love analytics. I do love the data and how important it is in the game. But I feel like the mental side of the game is a lot more crucial from from the kind of person, kind of player that I was, that I am. So, yeah, I'll give you a, my personal feeling on. I, I love the analytics too, but here's one thing that I, I that I want to see happen. And I know the shift has kind of taken away a lot of you know what's going on in terms of left-handed hitters and you know, singles. And I, whenever I think of the shift, I think of Ryan Howard, because I think it ruined Ryan Howard's career. <laughs> I will stand on that mountain. Um, and you just never see any athletic second basements anymore. Like nobody has to dive anymore. It's unbelievable. Like That's Max true. Muncy playing second base. I mean, Mike Moustakis was moved to second base at one point. I mean, you just sit in shallow right field and you know, you're anybody could play second base now. And I think that's, yeah. that's a, that's a personal, you know, caveat. No, it's like, no, I mean, that's a good evaluation. That's true. Uh, that's a good point you make. No, I mean, let's get the uniforms dirty again. Let's have some yeah. diving, you know, up the middle and in the hole. And, you know, it, that was, that was the fun baseball defense. So you, you, you don't want the shift. You, you want, you want to go, kind of go back. You want them to kind of have some boundaries or some so limitations. I would, I would use, so if I were managing in, in base, I use the shift <laughs> to keep up with the Joneses, but there is still a part of me that would, Yes, I would want to see the shift out the window. And are there any other rules that are, have been implemented that you don't like? Oh man, now you're putting me on the spot. Oh, see, sorry, I, no, no, no. I did it for a half an hour. Now you got okay. Let's see. Um, well, I feel like I talk too much. That's why. <laughs> um, I don't like the three batter minimum. I, I don't like that rule at all. I think that it takes out a lot of the strategy and some of the mm -hmm. late game. Um, 
the late game matchups. But what I do like about it is you have to force the hand of a reliever to get both sides of the plate out. So, I mean, lefty relievers, the the left-handed specialists, they were great. They were memorable. A lot of them were memorable. Everybody remembers, you know, their childhood left-handed specialist, right? (laughs) Mine was Javier Lopez with the Giants. Uh, And, um, but it it does add an extra skill and it rewards the guys that also get right-handed hitters out. So I think, I think that's, that's a key to it as well. Um, But I'm glad the seven inning doubleheaders are gone. I, you know, I think the players like that a little bit, but you know, I don't think the it's, yeah, I don't think it's attractive to to the fans. DH, I think I'm I'm down for. Um, I think DH for the main part will keep the starting pitcher in the game for longer, because uh, you know you don't have to make a decision in the fifth inning with guys on base to pinch hit. Right. So we might see some more innings from the starting pitcher. So nobody cares what I think, though. That's no, they do. They do. I, I do. I do for sure. Well, I appreciate right. that. The the, the one yeah. person in the back there. Yeah, that's, um, that's all it takes. All right. Before we wrap up, Adam, um, give us some players to watch in the Oakland organization. I'm sure um, some people are curious to see what's going on. Any young players that have caught your eye? Yeah. Um, Pineda is one of the, is a big one. Uh, a lot of good energy. Um, got a lot of talent, super young. I mean, he's really young. Pedro Pineda, Max Muncy. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's another Max, Max Muncy. There's another Max Muncy. Number, Max Muncy. number right. one draft pick, shortstop, athletic, good head on his, good head on his shoulders, just a, a, a pleasure to to work with. Just always looking to get better. Max Muncy, Pedro Pineda. There's a lot of a lot of young kids. I don't know why I laughed at the Max Muncy thing. I was, I was, <laughs> I wasn't thinking. I, I knew that there was another one, but I forgot that he was with the A's. So that's there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of young, a lot of young pitchers as well, uh, coming up. Just, uh, that's just the key, man, is staying healthy. These kids got to stay healthy. That's yeah. the key, man. They got all the talent in the world, man. But gosh, they can stay healthy and keep a good mindset. Be fun to watch in the big leagues one day. Yeah. Keys, keys to life. Adam, thank you. I appreciate you coming on the show. It was a lot of fun, man. You got it. Thanks for having me, Steven. And you guys can follow Adam on Twitter at a Rosie R O S I E seven. And then of course um, you have a website too, right? You have a company that, uh, that you do some, some training with, right? Yeah. We have a couple different little companies for the youth that we do baseball utility and mindful player or two, but yeah so yeah go check those out yeah for sure for sure all right guys thank you guys for listening thank you guys for watching you could find the podcast on spotify apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts and also on youtube to where you could see the uh the minor league teammate segment there that that uh i'm sure adam has to make some phone calls after this to figure out what he's going to do but all right guys thank you guys for listening and uh, have a good one